No, I'm, I'm glad to be here. My name is Matt. Um, yeah, so we, my wife and I planted a church in Chattanooga about three years ago. It feels like seven years ago after a pandemic. Nobody plants a church and says, I hope there's a global pandemic um, just right in the middle of it. It's kind of tough. So we're. Uh, I, I come to you this morning sort of um, a practitioner and a learner of what I want to talk about. So like we're really just right in the middle of this with you. So I don't come maybe... Um, I know it's easy to, to look at a situation like this and be like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. I, I don't. I think Jesus does, and I think he invites us in. So um, we'll go from there, but uh, I'm honored to be here with you. You'll hear about my life probably just a little bit more. I have two boys. Um, our son, Ezra, is three. Our son, our son, Maddox, is two, so we don't sleep much. I didn't sleep much last night because they don't like to sleep. So, um, But, yeah, so you'll, you'll hear a little bit more about sort of our life, and, and hopefully we can uh, spend some time hanging out today. So we have three sessions today. I just kind of want to lay it out there. But my goal is to sort of say, hey, what is Jesus inviting us into? Like, as followers of Jesus, like, what is the life that he's inviting us into? What is it? How do we step into it? And then tonight I just want to give you a little bit of encouragement from the scriptures as far as what it looks like and how we can ground our participation in the mission. Um, I think the theme of this weekend is all in. Is that, is that right? So what does it look like to be all in the sense of like giving our whole lives to this to this picture, this vision of life that Jesus says is abundant and easy and beautiful and life-giving and everything that we were made to be. So does that sound good? Talk about the what, the how, and then hopefully a little bit of encouragement. But if I was going to start today, um, and I am going to start today, I would ask you the question, like, why are you here? You know, if the answer is rhetorical. Um, but like, seriously, like, why did you come this weekend? Why are you at this retreat? Um, I know nothing like a good existentially oriented question to begin, uh, you know, a morning after maybe not much sleep, maybe a lack of coffee. I don't know where where you guys are at, but but seriously, like why? Like gun to your head, like why are you here? If you had to answer, why are you here? And not just maybe specifically here, this moment. You might be here because you think she's cute or you want him to go on a date with you. I don't know. I went to retreats in college. I, I, I get those are motivators and Jesus can, because he's good, he can work through those things and, <laughs> right? and he, can, he can bless us and call us deeper. But like, why are you here? Like, and, and not just like on a weekend like this, but like, why are you pursuing? I assume that some level of your heart is, is sort of postured toward Jesus for you to come away on a weekend like this and in a moment like this. And so like, why are you here? What's the, what's the real question? Um, and if you're annoyed with questions like that, it's going to be a long day for you because, uh, again, I'm being schooled in the art of asking why by a three-year-old. And so I have unlimited patience. Uh, the Lord is, is building that up in me. But um, you're at a – I just want to – like, I think it's good to like, look and see where your feet are, right? Like where are you? You're at a retreat. The theme of a retreat that you're at is all in, like in the kingdom of God, all in. Like, but why are you here? Like ask yourself a question. Like path of least, re- least resistance you just came because it was what your friends were doing or i don't i don't know but i would encourage you this weekend ask why like why are you here why are you here and i think that question is especially important in a moment like when we find ourselves in right when everything seems to be kind of shaking around us right in a year um like no other that uh, i've ever lived through and that many people alive have never lived li- lived through it's a question that has led us to a moment like this in the middle of a global pandemic and after one of the most tumultuous years i think for our country um, in our history, like just a crazy year, like um, the question, God, what's your vision for our life? Like what, what, like what is significant? What is meaningful? What is lasting? What, 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 what can I build something on that it is of value and of worth and, and it will endure? God, what's your vision for us? And the question I really want us to ask this weekend is, who are we becoming? Like who are you becoming, and why are you becoming the person that you're becoming? Like what's the, the, the Greek word there is the telos, right? So a telescope is something that you look through that brings that which is really far, very close, right? 
The telos is the end of a story. Right? It's that which is going to happen. Like, what's the telos of your life? Is it the kingdom of God? Is it God's glory? Is it the inbreaking renewal of all things? And if so, how are you being formed as a person to live into that? Like, what is God doing? What's he inviting you into? What are the things that you're stepping into to be formed in, in that vision of life? And not just carried along by, um, by the moment we find ourselves in, right? If we're really honest, the answer to that question to you, it may seem vague. I wrestle with this weekend, wrestle with it for the rest of your life. I don't know, like, who are you becoming? Why are you becoming that? It may seem vague. The truth for me in my life is that when that question is vague, like the why, when the why is vague, the how is, like, not even on my radar. Does that make sense? Like, why, like why am I becoming the person I'm becoming? Who am I becoming? God, what do you have for me? What's in front of me? Like, when I can't answer that question, the how is, like, whew, you know? So I live my, most of my, my early Christian life. I grew up in church. I was born on like the first pew of, of the church I think and somewhat I wasn't really that'd be gross um, <laughs> wild Sunday church um, but like a question right like for most of my life it was like I, 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 the, the why was nebulous right this is what we did as a family culture is what we did like this is what I don't know but the how like wasn't even on my radar so I live most of my life frustrated right because I knew this kind of person that Jesus was calling me to be or I knew that I should be doing some things or participating in mission in some way, or be all in, you know, like I should be, but I don't know how, and so that, that was frustrating, so I would just kind of live this sort of dual life, where like I affirm some things with my with my mouth, and with my like intellect, but like in my life, I, I never really live into any of it, and so if the, if the why is vague, then the how, I think it's impossible, right? And in, a, in, in the face of a question like that, we can often feel like, I feel like I'm from my three-year-old, you know, just completely undone by the why question, right? So I put some food in the microwave the other day, and he was like, hey, why are you, why are you doing that? That's a good question. Because yeah, so we have to cook it. And he's like, why? And I was like, humans eat cooked food? And why? If we don't, we'll die. And now my three-year-old has an existential crisis about about death, right? He's like, what's death? Why, what, what's die? I'm like, I don't know, dude. This is where I end, right? And the unknown begins. And so I know sometimes it feels like that, right? Like It's a, it, it's a funny story, but the reality is we ask questions like those, but oftentimes we don't, we don't, like seek Jesus's way of answering them, right? I don't mean to say that like legalistically. I'm just saying like Jesus has this life on offer for us, and we and sometimes we miss it. And so, uh, I know some of us are here, like honestly, because we know we need to be. But if I asked you to articulate it any further than that, you wouldn't be able to. Like, I know I need to be here. Like I know that this is where life is found, but I don't know anything beyond that, right? Or some of us are here because we're hoping we'll find some answers to some questions that we've been asking for a really long time. We haven't found them anywhere else, and so maybe here's the place we'll find the answers to the questions. Or maybe we're here because we've heard Jesus say that he's coming to give us life, to give us abundant life, and to give us an easy yoke. And life seems really hard, and but beyond that, we don't really know, right? We're just hoping that it's true. And so I just want to name, like, the entire point this weekend, right? If you don't hear me say anything else over the next, you know, 12 hours or however long we're together. Um, for me, like, personally, I said I'm coming as a, as a practitioner, as a, as a co-disciple of Jesus. I don't have the answer, but for me, so often it comes down to the realization that I want my life to look like Jesus's, but I don't want his lifestyle. That make sense? I want, his, I want his life. I want this picture of abundant life. I want this peace, right? I want all these things. But I oftentimes divorce the life that Jesus has from the lifestyle which he led that allowed him to step into it. And I, just, I believe that if Jesus is the author of life, then he knows how, how life is best to be lived. And so I, I miss sometimes the lifestyle of Jesus, even though I want the life of the, of the one who I'm following, right? So here's the goal this weekend. As you think about being all in, like fully committed, I already said I want to talk about the what this morning. 
Like, what does the rhythm of life look like in the life of someone who's all in the kingdom of God, who's like pursuing full throttle, like the kingdom of God? What's it look like? How do we step into it? Is it heavy? Is it hard? Is it legal? What's it look like? And then I want to talk about the how, right? And so I want to, this afternoon we're going to walk through a paradigm. Um, we'll figure that out because I was going to put it on the slide, but we'll figure it out. Um, uh, just about spiritual, how, do we, how are we formed? How is the world forming us? And how is Jesus asking us and inviting us into some, some things that will shape us in ways that are counter to the way the world is forming us and help us step into life in a greater way? And tonight I want to sit just with a couple texts, two stories from the life of Jesus and allow them to frame our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's calling us into and in in, in, in more than anything um, stories that can help us along the way. Because I do believe that the, that the way of Jesus is just that. It's a way. The, early, the earliest Christians were called followers of the way. Because what Jesus invites you into is a way of life. It's a process. It's not a accept Jesus in a moment. Life is transformed and keep living like you know. It's, like it's a way of life that will end ultimately with the glory of God enveloping all of creation and our participation in that. But it is a process. It is a way of discipleship. It is a way of living. And so, as we start this weekend, I just want to—I want to share the discovery that I'm making with you, and that our church, I think, is making. Man, it's been a difficult season. It's been a difficult season, right? Like so many—I was talking about your friends, but my friends are like, "I'm in. I'm out. I don't know. I used to go to church because my mom would call me on Sunday. If I didn't go to church, this isn't me. But though she probably would. Um, but but now the pandemic happened, and I can watch church online, and like I just, you know, like it's been tough. So these are the things that I'm learning, right, along with you. And I hope they encourage you because I think what Jesus is inviting us into, as I said, is a way of life. And what he's inviting us into is to be his apprentices. Because are you familiar with the word apprentice? Have you, have you used that language? Um, the Greek word is mathetes. It just means learners, learners of the way. Not just like, in a, we think of learning as our college students, right? So you think about learning, you think about going to maybe a lecture hall I went to a really small university, so this isn't my case, but I've heard stories there, you know, hundreds of people in these rooms, and somebody's up there, like, just talking at you, right? And we think about learning in those categories. What Jesus is inviting his disciples into is to be to be learners who then practice, right? So we see that throughout his ministries, inviting them in. Learners who practice, learners who put into practice that which they are learning. It's this amazing um, picture of discipleship, but but I think the better word, because discipleship is kind of a church word, right, if we're honest. Like if you go to your friends who don't go to church, like, hey, are you a disciple? Like, are you in a cult? Like, what kind of weird, like, discipleship is kind of a church word. The, the, the picture is of apprenticeship. And so if you're not familiar with apprenticeship, if you want to become a plumber or uh, especially someone in the trades or in a lot of careers, right, you apprentice under someone who, who's an expert, who's a master, who knows the trade that you want to learn, right? And so this may sound stupid, but I think it's worth naming that um, if you want to be in a, a plumber, you apprentice under a master what? Plumber, plumber right? If you, if you want to be a plumber and you go to an electrician and say, hey, will you teach me your ways so that I may become a plumber? They're going to say, you're crazy because they're not an expert in plumbing, right? And so what I think is happening is that we are being apprenticed. This is something that happens. Oftentimes we choose it, but sometimes we don't. Like generally in life, we're being apprenticed under a way of living, whether or not we choose it. And so the idea, the invitation is to say, Jesus, I choose your way. Will you teach me? Will you be my rabbi? Will you apprentice me on the way, on the path that it that leads to life? And so when I was in high school, I, um, my dad had a friend. And this friend, he was a teacher. My, my dad was a teacher. But his friend, during the summers, on their summer breaks, he would, he would like, build decks and things. He was, like, into construction. And so I needed um, a, a job because I was a poor high school student. And so I was like, I'll go to work with – his name was Al. And I remember the first day I showed up, um, I got out of my car – uh, my Honda Civic at the job site. It was the only Honda Civic there. I was a little bit intimidated by that reality, but I pulled up 
And um, I got out, and Al from the house that he was working on, he yelled at me, he said, hey, where's your hammer? I was like, I don't, I don't got one. He's like, where's your tape measure? I was like, I don't have one. He said, go buy one and come back. Like, you need the tools, right? You need the tools to be able to, to, to function in this context, right? And the funny thing was, he sent me to buy those things. I didn't use them for, like, two months. <laughs> like, he was, like, was leaving in the car. I was like, why'd you have me buy them? He's like, you need to be thinking, like, toward that end, right? But what my job was as an apprentice, this construction worker, was to literally for a month carry lumber around the job site. He'd be like, hey, here's this. St- anybody done this? It's the worst. Like, here's a stack of two-by-fours. Move them here. Oh, now we need to work there, so move them again. Um, and like this is the dumbest job of all time. This is so stupid. I want to learn how to like use a saw and cut things. Um, and so the point is, over that summer, it would be, hey Matt, I need you to move this lumber from this spot to this spot. And, and then it became, hey, bring this here. I'm gonna cut it. Watch me do this, right? It's like, see how I measure it. He teach me, right? And then he, and then you know, a couple weeks later, he'd be like, hey, grab a two by four, cut it, bring it to me. I'm like, oh, I get to use a saw now, right? So this is a process over the summer, and I didn't become a master carpenter. I don't really know. I'm doing, you know just enough to like not cut my hand off um, so far. But um, the point is, it was, it was a picture of apprenticeship, right? Because I was learning something as I walked, and it's like Mr. Miyagi kind of stuff, you know? Like, that's apprenticeship. Like, you don't realize sometimes what's happening, but as we walk the path, we, 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 we're learning. We begin to, to have some skills and to develop some habits that shape our lives and allow us to step deeper into that which we're being invited into. I think that's the picture that we get in Jesus' life. And so at first, I want to I just spend some time this morning looking at Luke chapter 6. This is a rhythm. Um, you guys are familiar with rhythms, right? This is a rhythm in the life of Jesus that we see um, not just Jesus, because this is, Jesus doesn't just like say, hey, do these things. He invites us into a way of life that he first practices and shows us, right? And that's a good teacher. You know, all the time the crowds are saying, hey, Jesus, he teaches with authority. We haven't seen this sort of authority. I think the authority is his, is his lived teaching. And he says it, but he also walks into it, right? So Luke chapter 6, um, starting in verse 12, is a picture, right? Um, because I think sometimes I want to show up on, on the job side of life, right? Or in, in this walk in the way of Jesus. I want to be all in. I want, to, I want to be on mission. I want to do the things that Jesus invites us to do. I want to see the miracles. I want to watch the healing. I want to see all of it, right? But I don't spend the time walking with Jesus so that I might step into it, right? This is a picture of discipleship. So this is a rhythm. This is one example of this, this place, this, this moment in the life of Jesus. But we see it over and over and over again. So Luke chapter 6. Um, Here's the, here's the moment. Verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them who he also designated apostles. This is important. Look at this. This is just a list of names we memorized. 14. Simon, whom he named Peter. His brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Verse 17, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and all the people who tried to touch him because and all the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. It's one of those things we read, and I'm just like, oh, that's cool, Jesus. Like, this, this is wild. This is wild. Like, people are coming to Jesus, and power is going out from him. He's healing everybody. This is wild, right? But, but I want to back up, and I want to look at the rhythm, right? I want to look at the, the pattern that Jesus establishes here, right? So the setting of this text this is a moment Jesus has been 
literally bringing heaven to earth. If you say, hey, Matt, what's the mission of Jesus? This is probably overly simplified. But I would say the, the mission of Jesus is to close the gap between heaven and earth, right? So heaven in the New Testament is not this place we go when we die so much as it is a place where God's will is done all, all the time, right? I think that would be helpful for us to recover a sense of heaven, not as this, like, this place we go when we die if we're good boys and girls, right? The heaven is the place where the will of God is done eternally and perfectly and always. Heaven is the place where the will of God is not done, right? But anyway, I digress. Heaven, Jesus says, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in Mark's gospel, right? Repent for the what? For the kingdom of heaven has come near. The, the God is doing something. The kingdom of heaven is breaking in all around you. Like, would you have eyes to see it? Change the way that you think. That's what repent means. But not just think. Change the way that you think so that you might change the way that you live because a new reality is breaking forth, right? So Jesus says, heaven is coming. And so Jesus has been walking around Galilee and walking around Judea bringing about heaven, right? So he says, hey, where my father's will is done completely, there are no sick people, so be healed, right? The kingdom of heaven, there is no sickness, be healed. The kingdom of heaven, there is no demon possession, be set free. The kingdom of heaven, there is no hunger, be fed. The kingdom of heaven, there is no, you name it, right? And Jesus begins to bring heaven to earth, to begin close the gap between heaven and earth. This is an amazing picture. So Jesus has been doing that sort of thing. And now he's getting ready to call 12 people deeper into this mission, right? Deeper into relationships so they might walk with him and do the kind of things that he did, right? So he's getting ready to do this. And the first thing that we see Jesus doing in this context, before he, before he chooses them, before he calls them, before he has a conversation with them, he goes up on the mountain. It's significant in the New Testament. Whenever someone ascends a mountain, they're about to have an encounter with God, right? Think about Moses on Mount Sinai. Think about Jesus, the transfiguration. Jesus goes up on a mountain. He says, Father, here I am. And he spends all night praying. Now, if you grew up like me as a good legalist, you would be like, man, I can't imagine praying all night. Has anybody ever prayed all night? I have not. I'll go first. And if you try, because you should, how often does it go well? There's something about this encounter with Jesus that before anything, the encounter Jesus has with the Father, that before anything he does, he says, God, I want to be with you. I want to know your heart. I want to spend time with you. I want to be in prayer. And I want to be with you before I step into this thing that's coming. Right? So the first part of this rhythm that we see in the life of Jesus is that he prioritizes and he invites us to prioritize our relationship and connection with the Father before anything else. I mean, just really practically for me, man, how many times would things go differently or would it look differently before I tried to step in for Jesus? I spent time with the Father. That he prioritizes his relationship with the Father, not out of legalism, not out of obligation, but because he loves his Father. And the one that his heart has come to love, he wants to spend time with. You see this over and over and over again in the life of Jesus. Before he walks on water, all night praying. Right? This is his rhythm over and over and over again. Jesus says, I want to be with the Father, right? Because the truth is that for us to walk in to God, into what God has for us to be all in, it has to be motivated by love and not obligation. But if we don't learn to love God, how are we ever going to live into the mission of God? How are we ever going to participate in the work that someone has for us without first coming to love them and trusting their heart and knowing his heart for us. Does that make sense? You know, the truth is that we talk about that which we are intellectually interested in differently than that which we love. That we talk differently about that which we're intellectually interested in than that which we love. So my wife, right? I can tell you all about her. She's tall. She has brown hair. 
She's awesome. She played soccer. Not really good at arm sports. Can't really throw the ball very well, but that's okay. She's a therapist. She's smart. I can tell you all these things about her, right? Her name's Kristen. It's probably important I'll tell you that. If When I leave tonight, if I ask you, hey, do you know Kristen? What would you say? No, you don't know her. I just described a random person in the world, right? But to me, she's amazing, like, but I can't even I can't even put that in words for you, right? I can't even describe it to you. Like you don't know her, right? So, so that, the reality is, when I when I first met Kristen, I was working in Huntsville. She was in Nashville. She was going to school, um, and so she was there for the summer. I met her, um, and then we spent like I met her. Then she moved back to Nashville, um, and so we spent like a month old school Facebook, like on the wall, not even Messenger. Like there was that wasn't the thing. Like it was just on the wall for the whole world to see. Um, so you don't even know what that means, right? Like, there was a time when Facebook, you couldn't send direct messages. You could only, anyway. Um, so that's how we that's how we did it for a minute. And then we started texting and stuff. And so there was a, about a month into our relationship, I could have told you a bunch of facts about her, right? Uh, she, she was from Chattanooga. I knew all these things about her because we've been talking for a month. A month in, she was like, hey, we should hang out in Nashville. I drove to Nashville. I drove to Frothy Monkey. I was waiting there. I saw her walk in, and that was the moment that I went from knowing facts about Kristen to knowing Kristen, right? And the truth is, I would talk differently about her from that moment forward. Our relationship had like fundamentally changed because I not, I didn't just know about her; I knew her. And I think the moment for us as disciples of Jesus, like to say, "Hey, are we all in?" It begins by saying, "God, I don't just know things about you, but I know you." And that's what's on the table, like. Friendship with the creator of the universe is on the table for you and for me. Not just knowing facts about him. Not just being able to state like scriptures and quote verses and saying, like, I know his will for me is good, but how about experiencing that will, right? That's where Jesus begins. He prioritizes his relationship with the Father. Um, and so so often, at least, I try to do the all-in sort of thing from a place of intellectual interest and not like full-throttle relationship. So we see this in the life of Jesus, not only saying, hey, do this, but inviting us in and, me, and, 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 um, and, and doing it first and going first. So the first thing is that, that Jesus prioritizes his relationship with the Father. The second rhythm in the life of Jesus that we see, I think, in this text that I think will help shape some of our time together is, um, is in verse 13. So when morning comes, if he spends all night praying to the Father. So one of we read over all night praying to the Father, being with God, like... Hearing his heart, asking him his heart, like experiencing the presence of God, the peace of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, Luke tells us that when morning comes, Jesus calls his disciples to him, and he chooses 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. And and the truth is that from the the experience of, of, of being with God, Jesus calls a community to himself. And the way of Jesus is a, is a communal way. We don't do it by ourselves, right? So Jesus says, I, God, I'm with you. I want to step into this. And he calls 12 to be with him. And look at the, look at the, the two kind of qualifiers and characteristics, characteristics of this community. The first is this, is radical inclusivity around Jesus. So we see the names of 12 dudes, but we know that through ministry that Jesus had men and women of every age like around him, right? They were, they were part of what he was doing in the kingdom. But more than that, look at the list. Just look at the list of people. That's why I said it's important. It's not just a, how many of you memorized that list of people in, like, who grew up at church? Who memorized that, that list of names, right? Y'all did. This is more than a, like, who cares about, like, honestly, who cares just to, like, memorize 12 names? But this is why I think we get this information, because it, it points to the radical inclusivity and rugged commitment of these dudes to each other and to Jesus, right? Because if you look at the list, 
don't know about your Bible study experiences. I don't even know about the dynamics of this group. I'd imagine there are some interesting ones because there always are when people get groups. Um, but the truth is, you've never been in a Bible study that has been as tense as Simon sitting across from Matthew wanting to literally kill him. So Simon the Zealot was a group of, was part of a group of people in Jewish culture that hated Rome and that would attack Rome's agents and that would literally like do them harm and kill them. And Matthew is a tax collector. He's like the bottom rung of Jewish society because he had sold out his people to, to, to collect taxes for the Roman oppressors. And Jesus calls these two guys and says, hey, sit down next to each other and teach you about the kingdom. I don't know how awkward your Bible studies are. They're not that awkward. I promise. I don't know how strained your relationships are. They're not that strained. And the love of the Father drives Jesus into a community which says, Matthew and Simon, like, let me show you a better way to live life. Let me show you what God is doing. So the, the, the community marked by Jesus, the rhythm is being part of a community that is radically inclusive. And then it's marked by radical experience. It's like, I mean, this is the invitation, right? So Mark, Mark's version of the story, Mark chapter 3, um, basically the same telling of the story, but Mark says that something interesting I think is really important. So Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13, so that Jesus went up on a mountainside. Same deal, right? He called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12. This is the same moment, just a different telling of it, that they might be with him. You see this? Jesus invited them into community to be with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have the authority to drive out demons. So the invitation of Jesus, the rhythm of Jesus, is, is, is to be part of a community that he invites them to that is radically inclusive. Everyone is welcome around Jesus. And it's a community marked by radical experience. That Jesus says, hey, come and be with me so that I might send you out to do the kinds of things that I did. Right? To preach. And then just, oh, casual, to drive out demons. Like, whatever, right? And Jesus says in John 14 that those who are following Jesus, those who are with him, will do greater things than the things that Jesus has done. This is a picture of the beloved community he calls us into. And marked by radical inclusivity and radical experience. And this is the rhythm to be part of that community. So much of our moment is like, I can do this thing, me, Jesus, my Bible on a mountaintop. And it goes, beautiful as that is, as, as, as amazing as it is to be alone with God in that space. And Jesus, he, he like... He, he shows that, right? He invites us into that. But, but as beautiful as it is, it takes being part of a community around Jesus to walk into the fullness of what God has for us. And so the third part of this rhythm is that he steps. So the, the love of God that he experiences in the place of prayer drives him deeper into community around the person of Jesus, right? Like the, the community is created out of that experience of love. And from there, love of God, life and community, they're driven into mission for the sake of all of those around for the glory of God and for their great joy, right? So this is the part that's absolutely wild to me. That if we miss it, we're, we're, we're not doing ourselves any favor. Verse 17, from that place, from the mountaintop, right, with the community around him, Jesus walks back down into the mission of God. So it says, he went down with them and stood on a level place. And a large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. That's just Luke's way of saying people were coming from all over the known world. It'd be like from New York to L.A., like everybody was coming, right? This is literally the geographical bounds of the area they found themselves in. Just people coming from all over the place. This is the picture, right? And why are they coming? Why are they coming? Because they came to hear him, to hear his teaching. We'll talk about that in a little bit this afternoon. Like the teaching of Jesus becomes this like picture of life. challenges the stories we believe about life that aren't true, right? They, they come to hear him teach, but not just hear him teach. They come because they're troubled by impure spirits, and they're being cured, and they're being healed, and, and the kingdom of God is breaking out in that space, in that place. So do you see the rhythm? The rhythm is like life with God, life in community, participation in mission. And they fuel each other. 
right? So often in my life, I've tried to do mission from the place of, uh, of, of sort of um, just by my own effort, by my own strength, right? I was a missions pastor for a long time in a church. Um, and the truth is that that is unsustainable. The Jesus', the Jesus participation in the kingdom is rooted and grounded in, in the love that he experiences from the Father that he wants to share with the community and the life that they experience together. But their pursuit of God together in community drives them into the mission of God. Because what happens when you experience the love of God in a place like this, you can't help but share it. First John chapter 1. This is in my nose. I'm riffing now. Somebody, I'm, Kristen would get mad at me. I'm almost done. First um, John chapter 1. Basically, John, the disciple of Jesus, he writes and he says, in essence... We've seen Jesus, we've touched him, I've hugged him, I've heard him, I've heard his words. Like, life couldn't be any better. Like, I've been with Jesus. He says, the only thing that can make my joy complete, the only thing that can make life any better for me, is if you would come and be a part of it. And that's the posture of one who's been with Jesus, and who has experienced the love of God, and who has experienced life and community around Jesus, and now says, hey, the only thing that can make my life any better is if you would come and experience it too. This is a beautiful picture of discipleship and being all in that is grounded in something that's more sustainable than just our effort or our, I know I should be doing this sort of thing, you know? Um, and so this is the rhythm of Jesus. That's what I mean. This is the life that he's inviting us to. Love of God, life and community for the sake of the city, for the sake of those around us, for the sake of our university, for the sake of our fringes and our families and our neighborhoods and our places of work. Also the glory of God and for our great joy. So this is the rhythm of not only Jesus, but also of his earliest followers. You see this picture of the church, right, where they dedicate themselves, Acts 2 says, to prayer, to breaking of bread together, to the apostles' teaching, and to serve the community. This picture of the Acts 2 church is that it's this place where you can't keep people out of it. Like people are coming day after day by the thousands to know Jesus because of the life they see on display there. And so my prayer is, as we talk about this, that as we step deeper into apprenticeship or we need to answer the question, like, Jesus, what are you inviting us into? Like, what's the picture of my life? How do I get there? I pray that this rhythm would be one that, that would propel us into a community centered around Jesus, that our love of God and our experience of him would propel us deeper into community around Jesus, not because it's easy, but because it's life-giving. Not because it's easy, because it's life-giving. And there in that place that our life together would drive us deeper into the mission of God because of his great love that we experience in that place and the love that he has for those of us who have yet to come, who have yet come to understand or to be a part of it, right? So if we're to be disciples of Jesus all in, I think the invitation is to do the sort of things that Jesus does. It's antithetical to the kingdom to say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus and not do what Jesus is doing, right? There's an, 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 uh, this is where I'll end. There's a blessing from um, uh, ancient Near Eastern cultures around the time, uh, Jewish culture around the time of Jesus. Um, so Jesus wasn't the only rabbi in the world. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Um, there were a lot of rabbis in Jewish culture. And so it was, it was, a, it was kind of a cultural reality that at some point um, you would you would hope to follow a rabbi. And so there's this blessing, right? And, and following a rabbi didn't mean just like listening to his teaching. Following a rabbi meant adopting his lifestyle. So you in every way would try to emulate and imitate the rabbi that you were following. The way he dressed, the way he talked, the way he walked, all of it. Like you wanted to be like that rabbi that you're following i just listen to what he said it's kind of a, a disadvantage of our western cultural moment right is that we think we think learning is just this intellectual sort of pursuit but like to follow a rabbi meant adopting his very life there's a blessing that they would say um to students to talmudine i was, a, I was a, a, an apprentice a student of a rabbi 
the blessing went like this. It's kind of crazy, but they would say, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. It's like a ridiculous saying, right? But think about it. In a culture where they spent, bless you, no worries. In a culture where um, there were no cars, it was a desert, and you walked everywhere. The blessing was really a picture of saying, hey, may you walk so closely to your rabbi. May you be so close to, to that person, to that way of life, to that understanding of life, that as they walked along the dirt road, this, the dust that their sandals kicked up would cover you. Like, I think it's a picture of what Jesus is inviting us into. May we walk so close to Jesus that the dust from his feet would cover us. Right? And it's not just like this, this picture, but that's the invitation to life. Right? So we'll talk about that a little bit later um, this afternoon. Let me pray for us and... Uh, and we'll be done. Sound good? Lord, we love you. Um, God, I'm thankful for this space and this place. Um, yeah, even for this setting, Lord, that reminds us um, of your presence and of your provision. So God, I pray that you would um, that you'd help us adopt not just the words of Jesus, but, but also his ways. Jesus, you would, um, that you would help us to see that when you call us, it is, it is uh, not to a moment, but to a life. Um, it's not always easy but it is always good so Jesus I, I hope and I pray that you would help us to adopt your 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 lifestyle to not just hope for your life the things that we can get from following you but the lifestyle that helps us walk in the way that is abundant and full and grace filled and good and beautiful so help us adopt your rhythms Jesus God help us to love you more um God, help us to um, stay connected to the community uh, that you that you are building around yourself, Jesus. Um, ruggedly committed to, to a group of people, Father. Um, we can't do this alone. The, the invitation of discipleship is into life together. And that our experience as, as we're with you, Father, and with those that you love and who love you, may, may you drive us deeper into, into mission, into service, into life. Um, for your glory, God, and for our joy. We love you in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.